Uh, we're in Romans chapter 6, and just a uh, wonderful text going right along with what Daryl has uh, just shared. Uh, we're going to start back in chapter 5 and just read 20 and 21 before getting into chapter 6. Uh, if you're newer to Calvary or have been missing some of these Romans sermons, just encourage you to get on our podcast, our YouTube channel, and uh, just start listening and catch up uh, because there are so many connecting statements that lead what we're learning today back to the beginning of chapter one. And uh, man, you just don't want to miss out on the whole of what the Holy Spirit inspired Paul <clears throat> to write down. And so we're starting uh, uh, a new chapter today, picking up in the context, though, as best as we can for time in Romans 5.20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And uh, I just went back and kind of listened to Chris's teaching last week uh, on these verses. And it was just a couple simple things that I wrote uh, that were good points that he made from those two verses. Number one, God's grace to humanity is far greater than humanity's rebellion against God. So that's a good nugget to recall. And then the literal translation of uh, verse uh, 20 is where it says, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. The literal translation would be that grace super abounded, you know? And so as we live in the day and age of the Marvel maniacs and the superhero, you know, fanatics, the lovers of all things superhero, you know, my... My little boy right now, Titus, is just in that stage of just Spider-Man, you know? It's like, and it's just like, yeah, Spider-Man is great. Let me tell you about how Jesus is the true and better Spider-Man, right? And, uh, and so he just had a birthday and Russell bought him this really neat Spider-Man hat and all of that. And, uh, and so where sin abounded, grace was a superhero all the more. Grace super abounded. So that sounds great, great right? So sin big, grace, way bigger. And so the critic or the person that's ill-informed would kind of take that formula or that example, sin, big, but grace, so much bigger. What if sin was big, big, then what would great? Well, then grace would be big, 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 big. Well, what if sin was just like, whoa, so big sin. Oh, then great. Oh, so much big. And so it's like, and so the idea is like, well, then why not just go crazy with our sin so that God can just go super duper crazy with his grace, you know? And it's like, whoa, like cool down there, hot shot. Okay. And so the, the question is asked in verse one, and it's um, someone might argue, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound so that grace could keep super abounding since the abundance of sin equals the lavish outpouring of grace. Wouldn't it make sense to sin more so that I can receive more grace so that grace can 
super abound and super abundance. It reminds me, um, I don't know if you guys know, but the Olkers family, uh, they're from Klamath Falls, is we're from Klamath Falls. And I didn't know them when I lived there, but Lindsay did, went to high school with Johnny and Jess. And then we all ended up in Corvallis and went to Calvary Corvallis together. We lived a block away from each other in Corvallis. We were going to move to Wyoming together, ended up moving to Prineville together. Uh, a little bit of a space between when we moved here and they did. But I've known Eli since he was a baby. And one story about Eli uh, that I love is when uh, Jess was teaching Eli about salvation and sin and all of that, that Eli said this hilarious statement, my like sin. <laughs> and, uh, and so now just every now and then as we're hanging out with the Olkers, we'll just jokingly throw out a, my like sin, you know, and, uh, and you know, as people with a sinful nature, my like sin, you know, sometimes we're like, oh, more sin, more grace, more, well, my like sin, more, my like grace, you know, and it's like, okay, um, gotta understand though, the process of the gospel, Paul says, and what has happened to us to where that silly formula or silly picture um, is just not even possible, okay? Um, the technical term for people who argue like this are called antinomians, antinomians or antinomianism, since they set themselves against the moral law of God, which is uh, nomos in, in the Hebrew. So antinomos, antinomians, they're those that dispense with any sort of morality uh, saying that God has just made a way for them to go ahead and send their brains out. Uh, and antinomianism has had a long history in the church in uh, Jude verse 4. Uh, actually addresses those types of people. Um, and it's important though, as we see how silly verse one is, or that question that honestly, though, we do have a sinful tendency in ourselves to go there sometimes. Um, and you may even just be honest with you. Yeah. Okay. I guess I have been kind of like, it's okay to get a little crazy, you know, because God's grace is a little crazy, you know? Uh, it's when we throw on the t-shirts that are like, you know, Hey, uh, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little, you know, or I love Jesus, but I get drunk a lot, you know, or something like that. And it's like, okay, hello. Um, throw antinomian out to those folks and there probably won't be a whole lot of, Oh yeah, totally. Antinomian. Yeah. All right. Um, now the LEB translation says, Shall we continue in sin in order that grace could increase or multiply grace or the new living paraphrase, keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace. And a similar question was asked back in Romans chapter three by the critic that says, if the truth of God is increased through my lie to his glory, why am I still being judged as a sinner? And so it was, again, like Paul was preaching the gospel of grace and it's like, oh man, um, man, if the Lord is using even the difficult things to work out something good and for his glory, how come I'm being judged as I keep on uh, sinning? Uh, and then by verse 15, uh, next week, we'll have the question asked again, what then shall we sin because we're not under the law, but not under grace? So, hey man, we're under grace. We could just keep on sinning. And the answer to every one of those hypothetical, silly questions is certainly not. Every time, certainly not. And even in our verse, look at verse two, certainly not. Okay. Uh, I just, I cut and pasted um, a picture from my 
Bible dictionary on my computer where it went through every translation in English. And let me just, <clears throat> let me, let me capture the certainly nots in the different Bible translations. May it never be by no means. Absolutely not. Of course not. Let it not be. <laughs> okay. So should we just go ahead and just super abound in sin because God's grace is just super abundant? May it never be. Certainly not. Perish the thought. All right. And so Paul begins with a vigorous rejection of this notion that God's grace gives us freedom to sin. I remember I started walking with the Lord, personally walking with the Lord in high school and being around high schoolers and then into college there was antinomianism, even within Calvary Chapel. They didn't know that's what it was, but just loving grace so much, also having crazy natural drives, you know, or not, or even drives that were bent towards sin and just being like, grace, bro, grace, hey man, grace, you know, it's like, that's where Paul would say, no, that's not what grace is for. All right. Perish that thought. Uh, at first sight, logic seems to be on the side of the antinomians that you know seems logical that more sin more grace more more sin more that that seems to be the case but paul's going to argue with counter logic in proposals i think it's eight proposals that i have that i stole from john stott and the first proposal is found here in verse two and it's we died to sin so here's the counter logic okay Here's the argument. Here's the rebuttal. You might write these down or you might just in pencil or pen right above each verse in a heading here. Certainly not. We died to sin. Okay. Uh, it's just the simple way of putting it. And he says there in verse two, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? So Paul lays down this fundamental truth as being in itself, an entirely satisfactory answer to the antinomians. The sentence could be translated, we died to sin in the past. How then shall we live in it in the future? John Stott said, it's not the literal impossibility of sin in believers that Paul is declaring here, but the moral incongruity of it. Okay. It's like possible. Oh, you tell me right now I can't sin. I will take that bet and you're going to regret, you know, quote a little Charlie Daniels. Um, I'm the best sinners there's ever been. Right. Uh, okay. It's literally a song about the devil. All right. Uh, he's not, he's not saying that it's impossible, but rather he's saying it's impossible in the sense of it's morally incongruous to the gospel and what's happened in us, okay? Because of the believer's death to sin reality, it's not possible to continue living and practicing sinful behavior any longer. Romans 7 speaks to this. Uh, Galatians 2.19, for I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. Colossians 2.30, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, uh, uh, Colossians 3.3, 3, 
you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Or 1 Peter 2.24, uh, Jesus bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sin, might live to righteousness. Uh, Lindsay and I were watching this comedy <clears throat> where, and I've mentioned this once before in my sermon. Now Ken Curvin quotes it. It's hilarious. Uh, but, you know, you're watching a show, right? And, you know, maybe someone's uh, sneaking in on something where there's danger and they don't know it. And they're just kind of like, ding, ding, ding. you know, they're kind of walking along and you're like, he dead, right? So we, we, the, the phrase in our show is he dead. And so now whenever we're watching something and you're just like, you know, like he dead. Okay. And so I'm just going to go ahead and keep on sinning. So grace can abound. And Paul would be like, he dead, <laughs> right? <laughs> You can't keep doing it because you've died with Christ, okay? Uh, the way we die, this is the second point. Uh, I'm paraphrasing Stott because he went on in his Scottish accent in his book that I was reading. So I'm like, I'm going to have some of this down for us Primeville folk. The way we died to sin in our baptism. So certainly not, not only because you died, but the way that you died in your baptism. Look at verse 3. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So he starts out with knowledge. Okay, knowledge is power, right? Knowledge is important. Uh, right belief brings right behavior. And so he asks, don't you know? Okay, are you unaware? Have you forgotten? These are a couple different translations. Or are you ignorant? So antinomianism is either, it either comes from just forgetting the gospel and what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, or it's being ignorant. It's immaturity, the discipleship factor that it never got there yet, you know, and just discipleship or ignorance, or you're ignoring it, things like that. Uh, it's up here. There, we're not believing. We're not understanding what's happened in the gospel for us. And in this case, don't you know, do you not know, are you ignorant, are you unaware, have you forgotten, that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. Now, uh, coming to this passage, I knew that I was going to get here. I love this passage. I love referencing this passage when I'm uh, in front of the baptismal trough. You guys have heard me almost every time I'm from in front of the baptismal trough with y'all. I'm referencing Romans 6 in the whole section here. Um, but I also recall uh, an experience that I had. I was a freshman in high school. I was uh, passionate about Jesus. I was evangelizing on the school grounds. I, we had a Bible study in our school. We were going to open air preaching in the humanities open area and in the quad of Crescent Valley High School in Corvallis. I'm, my teacher was a Christian in uh, math, and he said, Rory, as long as I'm not teaching something, you have full reign to evangelize the students in this class. And, uh, and so we were, just, we were just talking about Jesus like crazy. And uh, one girl that I, uh, I really uh, respect, I was going to say one girl that I loved and really liked, but not like that, okay, uh, uh, was um, a Christian, okay, and had a Baptist background. And I remember just, we were talking about the gospel one day, and then she began to share that you have to be baptized to be saved, 
okay? And I just knew, um, having been raised a Christian and somehow my parents had discipled me well, and um, I think I went to one Awana growing up, you know? Um, so that explains a lot. Um, did not get the vest or any patches on it, in case you're wondering. So I've been wearing Tatums around the house. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, but I just knew from the gospel and from the whole of scripture, that's not right. And if you come to Romans six and you just, and if you just went and you read the passage that we're going to go in today, three, four, maybe a couple of verses after that, you would probably come to that conclusion. It'd be very easy to come to that conclusion. And, and so, um, I even studied it this week just like that. And I was like, totally get coming to that conclusion. If that's all you had. Okay. Um, Mark Driscoll posted on Twitter last night that if your pastor isn't making people mad when he preaches the gospel, then he's not preaching a whole gospel. Okay. And I was like, I don't think I've made anybody mad in a really long time. I mean, you, you're all mad at me for different reasons, but probably not because of how I'm preaching the gospel. But if you're a Baptist through and through died in the wool, as I grew up, so I get it, love Baptists a whole lot. And you went to a certain denomination that this is like orthodoxy to you. You're going to be mad at me today. Okay. Because I got to preach the whole gospel. Okay. So, but just, will you just give me today and let's look at it because we want to not just like part of studying the Bible, uh, it's called hermeneutics, which is the art and science of studying the Bible is that context is king. And so you can't strip out this verse and use it like an evangelical cigarette while you take a drag on it, cast it out and use it however you want. You've got to use this in context of Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 7, 8, 9, 10. All right. So you, you got to know what Paul's saying within this whole thing. So does this passage teach baptismal regeneration? Namely that the mere administration of water in the name of the Trinity automatically bestows salvation. And as John Stott, the great late Scottish preacher the apostle neither believed this nor taught it. Okay. Um, now we have a great passage like Galatians three twenty seven. Uh, guys, I was I was really digging into this chapter, and I was reading a lot of commentaries, and I was also up late and up early, and I was not able to throw any of the quotes in for you, or even in the verses. So you got to just hang with me, okay? But Galatians three twenty seven says, "For as many of you as were." baptized into Christ Jesus, you've clothed yourself in Christ. Great passage. Some may use that to teach baptismal regeneration, that if you were baptized into Christ Jesus, that's how you've clothed yourself in Christ. Now it's important to understand when and how metaphors are used in the scripture. All throughout the New Testament, clothing yourself in Christ is used as a metaphor and yet, how many of us cruise around wearing living epistles t-shirts only, right? Living epistles was a store in Klamath Falls that was Bible, you know, God's gym, 
you know, or whatever, or you can talk the talk, but can you walk the walk or, you know, great Christian t-shirt company. Okay. Um, but you know, we're not clothing ourselves in like, Hey, I can see you've got a nice, you know, um, robe of humility on you today or something like that. Or when Jesus says, if anyone wants to come into the kingdom, you've got to be like little children. And so have you seen the weird guys that are identifying as babies these days? And they're going into like malls and videoing themselves with like the baby bonnet. Like, first of all, babies don't wear baby bonnets (laughs) since 1850, I think, you know, but they're men in the store being weirdos and they've got like a bottle and they're like, it's like, okay, I love you, but okay. And so it's not even what the sermon's about today, but we're getting hot. Okay. Uh, And so, but you know, you're coming into church on a Sunday and you got your little bottle and your binky. Bible says you got to be as a little baby if I want to come to heaven. You know, it's like, okay. We get, right? Now, this is a little harder because we are talking baptism. And baptism, unless it says otherwise, is speaking of water baptism. But there's many passages in the scripture that do speak otherwise concerning baptism. Okay, now concerning this, as many as you are baptized into Christ Jesus have clothed yourself or put on Christ from Galatians 3.27, Colin Cruz says this. The other ways that the apostle uses the idea of clothing yourself with something indicate that it is to be understood metaphorically and thus his reference to those who were baptized as having put on Christ is best taken metaphorically also. Not realistically. Paul's meaning seems to be that those who have uh, been baptized have taken upon themselves the obligation to live like Christ. Okay? Now we'll get in just a little second. Do I believe that you should be baptized as a Christian? 100% absolutely. Okay? Do I believe that baptism is an external symbol of an inward reality and change that grace has done in your life? Absolutely. But do I believe that you must be baptized to be saved? I do not believe that. I don't think the scripture teaches that. And that it would be a metaphor here of what? Of taking upon yourself the obligation to live like Christ. Let's look at a couple other scriptures. Okay. Colossians 2, 12. We're buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him. Now here's a key phrase, Colossians 2.12, in which you were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raises the dead. Key phrase there, through faith. So you're buried him with him through baptism in faith. You're raised with him through faith as well. Now, our many of us, maybe not all of us, some of you are antinomians in the room, but many people, your bent towards sin is always going to be works-based righteousness. Okay, the end of chapter 5, uh, verses 20 and 21, speak of the law, and the end of our section today, verse 14, speaks of the law, that we're not under the law, but we're under grace. And as long as our theology is poor and we're always defaulting to that, I'm only 
pleasing God and and appeasing God by my works, my successes, or my failures, which displease God, and so he doesn't want anything to do with me, then we're always going to be in a weird funk, and we're never going to be walking in just the joy of our salvation uh, that he's that he's given us. Um, and so this uh, baptism uh, picture of death and resurrection, it's something that happens through faith. Uh, again, Car- uh, Colin Cruz, he speaks of being buried with Christ in baptism, indicating that this is at the time of conversion that believers die to sin. Okay, and then I highlighted this from Cruz. Baptism being a shorthand way of referring to the whole conversion experience. Okay, so um, do you ever, you know, back in the day they taught shorthand and news reporters would use shorthand and it would just be a simple way of putting a big thing. And so baptism here by Paul in these epistles, uh, I believe in baptism. I believe that um, because uh, of what God has done for us, then we respond in obedience now that we're born again and we show the world the change that he's worked in us. I believe all of that. Um, but baptism that Paul speaks of in these epistles is a shorthand way of referring to the whole conversion experience. Uh, I just started uh, using chat GTP uh, design to do crazy, incredible logos. It's just so insane. It's like I'm going into this dream world of design. A guy that can't design says, make this, and just these incredible logos are coming up. ChatGTB has this one fatal flaw. E not real. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. ChatGTB doesn't know how to spell. Oh, so smart. What a genius. Computer human doesn't know how to spell, right? And so it's like, um, you know, can't spell ranch. It's like ranch, you know, love us some good ranch, but you know, or ministry, you know, Pernville, Pernville, Oregon, you know, or whatever. It's like, you spelled Pernville, Oregon wrong. Sorry about that. Let me redo that. Pernville, Oregon, you know, no, you, okay. Um, but one logo that it created was actually kind of cool and it looked like it was written in shorthand. And I almost let it slide because I'm like, oh, you're just writing in shorthand. And it was just Prineville without the eye. Looked like Johnny's t-shirt that he made for us. If you have that one for the church, right? Culvery Prineville. You thought that was on purpose by Johnny? He doesn't know how to spell. (laughs) Right? Prineville. Okay. And so while Paul is talking about you've died to sin, okay, you were buried through baptism. You might as well say you're birthed through baptism is what Paul is saying because he's shorthand writing about the whole conversion experience and referencing baptism there. Let's just look at a couple of things to kind of help illustrate this. First Corinthians 1, 14 through 17. I think this is Paul. Okay, now remember, for those that would believe that baptism saves you, Why would Paul say, I thank God I baptized none of you? (laughs) Uh, Except except for Crispus and Gaius, right? Uh, Lest anyone should say that I baptized in my own name, yet I 
Also baptized the house of... Okay, so he baptized a whole bunch of people he gets into. Besides, I don't know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ be made of no effect. So, uh, Cruz again. This is not something he would say if baptism was essential, even if it was the normal rite people underwent in order to experience the power of the gospel and be incorporated into Christ. Then a couple chapters later, uh, he says, all were baptized into Moses. Remember that? Remember that part in the Old Testament? When everyone got baptized into Moses. Remember reading that in the Bible? There was a big line outside that it didn't happen, right? There wasn't, okay, like Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Apocrypha? Which is in Apocrypha? Okay, the hidden books, okay? Um, okay, so it, it wasn't like that, okay? But rather, it's referencing everyone walked in faith in God behind Moses when they did what? When they went through the Red Sea, okay? So it was, or it was a picture of them receiving and believing in all that the Lord had for them. And so uh, Cruz was just helpful in this, looking at these scriptures where he says, uh, concerning Moses, this is a strange use of baptismal imagery, implying it would seem that the Israelites' baptismal experience with Moses in the cloud and the sea involved their identification with and obedience to him so that together they experienced God's salvation. Or John Stott said, and to be baptized into Christ, kind of coming back to our text, means to enter into relationship with him. Much as the Israelites were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, that is, into allegiance to him as their leader. So baptism is a picture of us plunging ourselves into allegiance to Christ as our king and as our leader. Uh, now, just a couple of verses speaking to this. Mark sixteen sixteen. It follows the great commission of Mark, go into all the world, uh, preach the gospel to every creature. So try that next time you go out evangelizing, having trouble speaking to humans, speak to some animals. Okay. Or, you know, and actually you can do this because as you speak to the animals and the creatures, you can talk about how the yellow jacket with his stupid attitude and behavior, you can be like, Hey, guess what? In the new creation, homie your little stinger ain't going to sting anymore. And I'm looking forward to that. You know, and so you're just like, warm up there and then start talking to your neighbor about Jesus. Okay. Uh, whatever you guys. Verse 16 of Mark 16. So this is after the great commission. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. All right, there you have it. You have to be baptized to be saved. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. I think we'll have the worship team come on up. Or we can finish the verse. Ira, like you didn't know that was coming. But he who does not believe will be condemned. So what's the hinge issue there? I was joking. Okay, sit down. Carolyn. Yeah, you did. Yeah. All right, 
You had to. And you know, one pastor to another, it's okay. Anyone else tried it? Um, so, so he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Yes, get baptized. He who does not believe will be condemned. So what's the hinge issue for salvation there? Belief, okay, faith, all right? Uh, uh, how about uh, Luke twenty three forty three? And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Who's Jesus talking to there? The thief on the cross. What happened within that, say, three-hour period there with the thief on the cross? He went from what to what? He went from reviling and hissing at Jesus and mocking Jesus. And then over the course of watching Jesus suffer, and the way that he suffered and the way he showed humility and the way that he really showed lordship, he went from death to life in believing in Jesus, the man on the middle cross, okay? And so by the end of that, Jesus says, hey, I see what's going on in your heart. We're gonna have uh, a team come on up with the Roman army and a couple crowbars and we're gonna take those nails out and we happen to have a horse trough right here and we're gonna go ahead and dunk you real quick. And then we're going to go ahead and wedge you back up there. The holes are already there. Just kind of, you know, uh, sorry. Uh, and, uh, and now you'll go to heaven with me and you'll be in paradise with me. Okay. Uh, and of course it's, it's unthinkable that that would be the case. Of course we know that that didn't happen. And yet this, this man had the assurance that as he got to heaven, he had no merit on why he should be let in, except that he can say, you know what? The man on the middle cross told me I could come in and I have trust in that. And so the context of Romans here coming into to chapter six, verse three, Stott, it is unthinkable that the apostle Paul, having spent three chapters arguing that justification is by faith alone, should now shift his ground contradict himself and declare that salvation is by baptism after all. No, we must give the apostle credit for consistency of thought. The baptized faith is of course taken for granted, not forgotten, not denied. So union with Christ by faith, which is invisibly brought about by the Holy Spirit, is visibly signified and sealed by baptism. The essential point Paul is making is that being a Christian involves a personal, vital identification with Jesus Christ and that this union with him is dramatically displayed in our baptism. Baptism shows the union that already has happened by his grace through faith. Okay, so... uh, So shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound? Point number one, we died to sin, okay? Uh, Point number two, uh, I gotta kind of scan back through here. Um, The way in which we are baptized, which is uh, by faith. And in that, the third point, we share in Christ's death and we share in Christ's resurrection, okay? Uh, And so verse four, Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness 
uh, of life. And so again, baptism is referenced and we're understanding going forward that it's shorthand for this total immersion of what the gospel does in the believer's life as they believe in the Lord Jesus. And that is shown and displayed in in just theatrical, beautiful way when we actually do head to the waters of baptism. So we were buried with him through baptism in uh, to death. And so uh, we know that, man, there may be a period when someone does believe in the Lord Jesus and then maybe they aren't baptized for days, weeks, month, for whatever reason. You know, in Nepal, if you get baptized um, in the Himalayas, you have a two-week life expectancy. Like they're going to martyr you for believing in Jesus. And so, you know, it's just a little harder in the frigid, cold, icy water, limited water at that to just go ahead and have your baptismal ceremony. Okay. So, but between whatever time it takes, um, and and I believe do it as soon as possible after you're saved. Right. Uh, but in that period of time, uh, there is this, uh, buried with Jesus unto death. That's already happened in the heart. And that is going to be visibly displayed when they head to the trough or the bathtub or the hot tub or wherever there's a place where water can be dispensed, right? Uh, and so you have this death picture uh, that baptism shows. Baptism is a beautiful picture of dying with Jesus and being buried. And then uh, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, even so we also should walk uh, in newness of life. And it just goes on with the, the thought for if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. And so there's just this great encouraging word that we are not just united in the death of Jesus. All right. Uh, baptism is a picture of the death of Jesus and we're uniting ourselves with Jesus and even publicly making that proclamation that I am siding with Jesus. And as he died, the old Rory is dying also has died is died also. Okay. And as the burial happens, the, you know, the crowd goes silent because, um, the person never comes up out of the water, right? And there's the old joke that um, depending on how wicked and sinful your life was, that's how long they hold you under the water in baptism, right? And it's just kind of a, you know, um, when I was baptized in the Jordan River, my pastor baptized me. And, uh, and I remember just being so glad to finally be obedient. I'd already been a pastor, but I'm finally getting baptized. And as I'm going under the water, I'm realizing, I'm just like, oh, I'm in the Jordan River. This is where Jesus was baptized. Just, oh, how good it is to finally obey you, Lord, and step out in this uh, baptism. And How long have I been under here anyways? <laughs> you know, and my wife was taking tons of pictures. And you can see Rob, who is one of my best buddies, and we joke around a lot. And he's like, <laughs> you know, and, they bring, and then we just, the only fist fight I've ever gotten into, and it was at my baptism. Um, uh, but the beautiful news is that Paul's talking about here is we don't just die in, in unity with Jesus, um, but also just as heroes, we also rise to newness of life. And that has happened before baptism because of the gospel. It happens. That work is working in you, um, but also it's displayed and shown at baptism. Now, 
I value baptism. I think, man, I think really the Christian says, why wouldn't you get baptized if you have been saved? Um, If you are a believer and you've never been baptized, one of the most elementary principles of our faith, the writer of Hebrews says, is to trust the Lord enough to get wet in your street clothes in front of people, okay? Like if you have trouble like letting your mascara run in front of folks, then you're gonna have a whole lot of other troubles with, you know, being a martyr for him when that time comes or something. So I would just encourage you, step forward in what's known as an elementary principle of our faith. And I would also say though, if you are someone that, walks a life of cheap grace and easy believism that you get to just believe in Jesus and then go ahead and just sin your brains out and just kind of whip out the grace card and then just go back after it. It shows you don't really value grace. And I would, I would just ask, have you been baptized, first of all, And, um, since you've believed in the gospel, have you been like, so yes, of course, have you been baptized? But what I mean is like, well, I was baptized, but I didn't really know the gospel. And I was kind of baptized pre believing in like the book and the Bible and the gospel and all that it means for me. It's like, since you believe Paul asked in Ephesus, since you believed, have you been baptized since you believed? And I would just encourage you, um, maybe it's time to get baptized and to show the world like, I am not a believer in cheap grace. I'm a believer in the beautiful, costly grace of the Lord Jesus that whoever believes in that now behaves in a way that reflects that. Lots there, I know. Um, And so we have, if you remember our Easter Sunday service about the J curve, okay, the gospel shows us like on a chart or a graph that even though Jesus experienced you know, the betrayal and the whippings and the scourgings and, you know, the carrying of the cross and the crucifixion at Gethsemane, that's just a line going down in rough experience, right? All the way to death. The resurrection shows us that death and suffering do not have the final word. And because of the resurrection, we always have hope that things will come up. It's what some theologians have called the J curve, all right? It's math. Get a fractions calculator and look at it. You know, I'm just kidding. It wouldn't be fractions. I don't know. Do I look like I even own a calculator? I found my watch, okay? Um, all right, but the picture here is also the J curve that, oh, but we are uniting ourselves with Jesus in his death through faith and immersing ourselves in that. But also the beautiful news is it's not just death, death, death. Because of the resurrection, he also brings us to where we now walk in newness of life. That happens before baptism. It's shown in baptism. And I think that, you know, it's not, um, you know, it doesn't have to be one without the other. It's like because you showed publicly in baptism, it's like that's all just girded up in strength so that even more there would be the walking in holiness and newness of life. And it says there, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. And it was Stott that put in parentheses uh, in our moral life. Certainly we shall also be resurrected in in our moral life and how we behave in the likeness of his resurrection. C.J. Vaughn said, our baptism 
was a sort of funeral. And I always love the picture from the Gulf War of a chaplain that preached the gospel to soldiers before they went into battle. And a lot of soldiers got saved right before their first taste of the conflict. And he, he was wanting to baptize them, but they didn't have any water because they're in the desert. And, uh, and what did he use for water? He took a casket and he sealed it watertight and he filled it up with water. And these troops were getting baptized in a casket. And it's just a great picture of the believer's death to sin principle and resurrection to new life. So a baptism is a sort of a funeral. Yes, a funeral, but a resurrection from that grave uh, as well. There's a lot of New Testament passages that we don't have time uh, to get into right now. One would be Philippians 3, just 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And so this does speak for the here and now hope of our life and behavior, but also for future eschatological hope of the resurrection and life that we have um, in, in the future. So uh, the fourth point, let's see how far can I go? Oh, I was really not planning on spending that much time on all that. Okay. Uh, I think just to keep in line with, uh, hold on, just give me a second. Okay, so let me go just a little bit, okay? Because I want to keep the idea of the baptism picture uh, that that is for us. So the fourth rebuttal to antinomianism is that our former self was crucified. Okay, so... Baptism is that picture of what's already happened in the gospel, that the former self was crucified. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So here's that word, knowing this again, that reminds us of verse 3, or do you not know? And so it shows us that how important knowledge, the knowledge of the gospel And of course, we want the knowledge to be pushed down into here, right? We want to believe the gospel. So don't you remember that our old man was crucified with him? So the whole idea is that as you are going into these times of temptation, where you're being tempted to sin, what are you supposed to do with that? You got to remember, remember who you are and what the Lord has done to you in the gospel. And it's going to get into that next week as he uses the word reckon yourself dead to sin, but alive to God. So you got to remember, you got to consider, you got to remember that that old man that is being tempted right now to go do that, you need to remind him. So go ahead and open up your mouth and speak it out loud. My body of sin was crucified with him. Say it out loud. I I, I mean, not guys, seriously. I did kind of set you up, but not on purpose, okay? I meant when you're being tempted, people, okay. All right, Uh, my old man was crucified. The old Rory was crucified that that body of sin would be done away with. I was just like, man, we gotta memorize one through 14, okay? So do that this week, that your memory verse, 14 verses, okay? I actually have a method on how to do it. It's not as hard as you would think. Um, But man, just when you're walking in the, in just the temptation is coming, speak out these verses. Certainly not. Throw a certainly not out to Satan, right? Hey, I know that my old man was crucified, 
that my body of sin could just be done away with. My sinful self was crucified with Jesus. The body ruled by sin should not be taken to imply that the human body itself is contaminated or corrupt. That was a Gnostic notion of the first centuries. The biblical doctrine of creation and incarnation and resurrection give us a high view of our body as a God-intended vehicle in which we express ourselves. But the body ruled by sin, this is Stott, means the body as conditioned and controlled by sin because sin uses our body for its own evil purposes, perverting our natural instincts, degrading sleepiness into sloth, and hunger into greed, and sexual desire into lust. And so it's not that our body is sinful, it's that what our sin does and and transforms even good things into being sinful things. Um, That the body of sin might be done away with is what uh, verse says. It means that that body of sin would be rendered uh, inoperative or powerless, or it would lose its power in our lives, being brought to nothing. That body of sin would be destroyed and nullified and abolished. As Galatians 5.24 says, those who have uh, been in Christ have crucified the flesh uh, with its passions and its desires. Um, That we should no longer be slaves to sin is what our verse says there, verse 6. Enslaved to sin or serving sin, we no longer have to be slaves. So remember Daryl's beautiful announcement today. And, uh, and just the hope that we have as men of God and women of God to be able to walk in purity. And it's by living in the present victory that we have in Jesus and believing and behaving accordingly, accordingly that we are no longer slaves to sin, serving sin. And verse 7 uh, is where we'll close. For he who has died has been freed from sin. And so now we can have the worship team. Uh, no, you're good. Okay, I, I thought so. It was kind of embarrassing earlier, wasn't it? Um, uh, so he who has died has been free from sin. And so memorizing these verses, speaking them out in the times of temptation, reminding yourself, uh, reminding the spiritual realm, uh, reminding the tempter uh, of where you are at in, um, uh, in the story that you are not a slave to sin anymore and that that old sinful self, I like the song that we sing sometimes, um, my sinful soul is counted free because a sinless savior died, you know? And uh, this sinful self is dead. Uh, No longer am I operating in the old Rory. Uh, Because he's dead, I've been freed from sin. And uh, I'm cleared of sin. And that word freed can also be used as the word justified. Uh, Because the old man died in that unity with Christ Jesus, there's justification in my life from sin. The New Living Translation says, For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And so uh, we'll get into uh, more of the rebuttals to antinomianism, but let me just list them again to you guys. Uh, The counter logic of the silly logic of more sin, more grace, right? Uh, The counter logic is, uh, no, we died to sin, okay? Uh, Number two, the way we died to sin in our baptism 
or in our um, whole conversion experience. And then uh, the third thing, we've shared in Christ's death and we've shared in Christ's resurrection. And uh, the fourth thing, our former self was crucified. The former self was crucified. So why don't you guys put your things aside and stand with me. I'm just going to close with a little J.B. Phillips translation. Now, what is our response to be? Shall we sin to our heart's content and see how far we can exploit the grace of God? What a ghastly thought. We who have died to sin, how could we live in sin a moment longer? Have you forgotten that all of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ were, by that very action, sharing in his death? We were dead and buried with him in baptism so that just as he was raised from the dead by the splendid revelation of the Father's power, so we too might rise to life on a new plane altogether. If we have, as it were, shared in his death, let us rise and live our new, our new lives with him. Let's pray. And Lord, uh, we just believe today that you have done just this incredible work in us, in our hearts, and to our nature, Lord, uh, that in the gospel, this crucifixion took place the moment we believed upon you and that we plunged ourselves, or you plunged us, Lord, uh, into just the saving grace where um, that second Adam died uh, for us, Lord, and we partake of that uh, death. But also the wonderful truth that not only is the old man dead, but there's a new man that you've made to live in power and in glory and in obedience and in victory. And we pray this week, Lord, that there would just be this incredible victory in our lives that when the tempter comes, Lord, leads us away by our own desires or tries to anyway, Lord, that we would remember the word given to us in Romans 6, that uh, that old man is dead and we are freed from sin, no longer slaves to sin. Lord, it's deep, it's crazy, it's complex. I know that maybe there are feathers ruffled for those that value baptism, maybe to the degree that, uh, that that's what brings salvation. And But Lord, may we just figure out how to turn that puzzle piece to where it clicks in. I think of Titus this week and learning from Awana and the question at Awana was, um, if somebody asked how to go to heaven, what do you tell them? And, and he said, uh, do good things and get baptized. <laughs> it was like, no, 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 Titus. Remember last week's memory verse, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, Dad. For it's by grace that we've been saved through faith. And that not on, of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So Lord, wherever there's just, we value baptism, I'm not quite sure how, uh, Lord, just at the end of the day, we would say, well, I, I know this, it's not of works, but it's by grace. And let us rejoice in grace. Even today, Lord, just anyone that needs to receive that grace, and I just speak to you, the audience today, receive it right now like a little child would receive a gift and cherish it. And receive right now the death to the old man but the joyous resurrection of a new 
here in this place. Let's close in song.